Our reading continues this morning from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 33 through 50. They entered Capernaum, and when they had come into a house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who among them was the greatest. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, they must be last of all and servant of everyone. And taking a little child, Jesus placed the child in the midst of them. And embracing the child, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to curse me soon thereafter. Whoever is not against us is for us. For I assure you that whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. And if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life injured than to have two hands and to go to hell through the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you restore it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Though the word church never appears in the Gospel of Mark, the church is the Gospel writer's primary intended audience. And as with all of the books of the New Testament, the writer and first readers of the Gospel of Mark were rooted in a particular community, bound by their own time and place and context, each with gifts and needs and challenges that shaped the reading and application of the Gospel as good news. Among the many challenges that Mark's first readers struggled to overcome was the need both to discern and also to recognize and to affirm that the Church of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, was and is a community of welcome and belonging, comprised of persons who did not fit neatly into existing religious and cultural categories. Their participation and leadership as one community 
of both Judeans and Romans, women and men, young and old, slave and free, rich and poor, and in between were each brought together and welcomed around the same table to share the same bread, to embody the same love, and to be known by the same God as a multilingual, multi-ethnic, and intercultural reality created by the Creator in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The bringing together of such varied persons and peoples into relationship with each other became a visible and tangible sign that God's reign on earth was near. And the existence of such a community still today is evidence of the redemption that God in Christ makes possible. In today's reading, it's the disciples of Jesus who are most wrestling to comprehend this new reality called salvation. Perhaps it is better to say that they, much like us, are still learning what it means to be the church, entering into and being part of each other's lives, not as strangers and enemies, but as guests and friends of the God in whose peace and presence we live and move and have our being. But what we find in Mark's gospel is that the seeds of the promise of this new community are being sown in the ministry of Jesus. So in the latter half of Mark chapter 9, Jesus is teaching his disciples in a house. And as we've mentioned before, houses are one of the most significant sites of ministry uh, in, in the life and ministry of Jesus. For in addition to gathering with his disciples in houses, Jesus often teaches in houses and tells stories known as parables. Houses are also a place where healing occurs and where new disciples are chosen and invited. And as much as Jesus travels from house to house throughout the region of Judea and beyond, he also sends his disciples to do the same, receiving the care and hospitality of those who open their doors to welcome them. Though it is perhaps obvious, we need also to mention that Jesus frequently shares meals in houses, because in the house is where the table is, and in a house is where the first readers of Mark's gospel would have gathered around the table together. The mention of a house in today's reading is so much more than a reference to where people lived. It is also a tangible reference to the character and life of the early Christian community. And while Jesus intended for the table to be a primary sign of the church, the question who gets to sit around the table is one that Mark's first readers needed to answer. When reading today's scripture for the first time, these teachings of Jesus might seem a bit unrelated to one another. But the location and circumstances of Jesus' teaching in a house with his disciples clues us into the emphasis on relationships. And the gospel writer anticipates that we will be paying attention as we are seeking to navigate the gifts and challenge of learning to live side by side in the kingdom of God. The reading begins in verse 33 when Jesus asks his disciples what they were arguing about as they were traveling on the road together. And we're told that they were reluctant to say anything at all in response to Jesus' question because they'd been arguing which among them was the greatest. Though it is only at first implied, it is necessary to mention for the sake of context that Jesus and his disciples are not alone in the house, but rather are surrounded by many other people whom they have met along the way. Which is why in verse 35, Jesus specifically calls the 12 
For though they were the first ones to follow Jesus, they are far from being the only ones. And it's the emergence of a growing and changing community that they seem to be struggling most to accept. Embracing a child in his arms. Jesus says to the twelve in particular, if you really want to strive to be first, then be the first at helping and serving and ministering among the people. Jesus' words accompanied by his instructions for the disciples to focus on what really matters is indeed a challenge in the way of one's own orientation to life and priorities. Instead of feeling the need to compare themselves to each other, Jesus challenges his disciples to focus instead on whether and how they are caring for the rest of the community. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on to say that in their care for others, especially those who are the most vulnerable among them, they will experience the presence of God. So if you really want to be great, Jesus says, then be great at loving your neighbor. Be great at working for equity in your community. Be great at sharing what you have. Be great at looking for a way to help someone. Be great at spreading joy among those who are hurting. Be great at listening and by being a friend. It's not a question of whether Jesus believed that his disciples would have an impact. The question is what sort of impact would they have? Because whenever we focus solely upon ourselves and our own desires, we also often limit the scope of what is possible to what we can, by ourselves, achieve. But when our focus is bigger than just us, when we can see the bigger picture, when we allow that vision to be informed and shaped by our participation in the larger efforts of a community, of a neighborhood, of a people, of a church, then our mutual participation enables something even greater to be born and to be accomplished, not simply by our own efforts, but by all that God desires to do in and through us, in and with each other. But wait a minute. John said to Jesus, we saw someone ministering in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Did you hear what John was saying? Not because he wasn't following Jesus, but because he wasn't following us. The disciples thought that by having been chosen by Jesus first, because they had been following Jesus the longest, that it was their responsibility to then determine who is contributing to the ministry and who is not. And what does Jesus say? Whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not standing in the way of the kingdom of God is on our side. We must never underestimate God's power to move in the lives of the people around us, even in ways that we do not expect, even in ways that we do not yet understand. And it is far easier to ask someone else to get out of our way than it is for the whole community to do the work of discerning together what God wants to do in and through us. That is why in a house that is crowded with people, Jesus looks directly at his closest companions and says to them, do not be a hindrance to any one of these little ones all the people around you who place their trust in me. Indeed, these little ones are the children of God, 
just like you. So be careful not to place a stumbling block in their way or become the stumbling block that seeks to stand in between me and those for whom I have come. It's clear from the reading that the disciples of Jesus are wrestling with their role now as disciples. As time has gone on, as things seem to be changing. Enough that what is really being unearthed in this story is a genuine conflict that the disciples are experiencing not only with each other and who they are to be with each other, but also with the many others who are in the house about who belongs. Taking the context of today's reading into account, Jesus' words about becoming a stumbling block are not about personal faults. They're about the obstacles that we put in place that stand in the way of nurturing a deeper and more genuine sense of community with each other. And what does Jesus say is the consequence of doing so? What's the outcome? The outcome is that when we keep those obstacles in place, all that we're doing is removing ourselves from experiencing the fullness of life together that God desires for us. Because Jesus' words are stark in their description, much like when we are at odds with another person, it is tempting to focus only on what is being lost, whether it's our values or our self-respect, our memory of being wronged, our sense of being right, our preference for the way things used to be. Sometimes we cling to our own understanding and personal convictions with a grip that is so tight that our way of seeing things becomes vital to our identity and even to our sense of who we are, almost like body parts, a hand, a foot, an eye. It is difficult, even painful, for us to begin to imagine life without them, but when it comes to our relationships, it can be risky simply to focus on what we have to lose by removing all that stands between us. Because if we're only thinking about what it is that we have to lose, it will be hard for us to notice and to experience who it is that we have to gain. That is why Jesus' words about fire and salt are really an invitation for his own disciples to make a decision between keeping the obstacles or removing them. Because if the disciples really want to cling to their desire for greatness at all costs, it will only be at the expense of their participation in the newness of the gospel. But if they are willing to work to remove the obstacles, all that stands in between them and the crowd and the community they may very well feel like they are giving up a part of who they thought they were. But in doing so, they will also discover that they are also now somehow together being renewed. For everyone will be salted with fire. And salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, that which it is and is supposed to be, how can you restore it? You can restore it by removing the impurities. And once it has been removed, all that you are left with is salt. Have salt among yourselves, Jesus says, and be at peace with each other. Be salt to one another.
help one another, stretch one another. Actually, the word that Jesus uses here is even better. It's a compound word that's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. The word is comprised of the popular noun for peace and a verb that means to give a nod, you know, the movement of our head as a gesture of understanding and affirmation. As a compound word, it's usually translated to live in harmony or to be at peace. But a literal translation of the word might actually help us to better understand the full meaning of what Jesus has in mind, which is to give a peace nod. A nonverbal accord. A peace agreement. A yes to one another. A gesture of our mutual willingness and consent to keep on trying to communicate with each other however many times it takes, our genuine desire to share and to connect, to take a step, even in the smallest of steps, a nod, in the direction of the togetherness of God. To give a peace nod is neither defensive nor is it a self-righteous glance. It does not ignore the wrongs that have been done, nor is it a wholesale giving in but it does no harm or violence to really look into another person's face and say, I'm glad you're here. Not by saying anything at all. It speaks no hurtful word and it makes no accusations and it does not assume the worst. It does not have to be eloquent does not have to have all of the right answers ahead of time. We do not even have to speak because peace can begin with silence. Much like those first readers so long ago, it is through our own shared reading and rereading of the stories of Jesus and worship together that we begin to discern and to learn to encounter the living and active presence of God. As the Holy Spirit moves us to glean from these words, wisdom that speaks directly to us who are gathered in the here and now. Wisdom that enables us to listen and to hear the invitations of the divine as though spoken directly to us. In order that the good news might become not just a story, but the unfolding liturgy and lived experience of placing our trust in divine promises. In a world like ours, with all of the challenges that we have faced and are facing today, amid the turmoil and terrors of the past, the pain of the present, our fears concerning the future, will we ever experience salvation and community in the way that God intends? We hope so. Because God's presence is with us here. Now, how can we begin to remove the many obstacles that seem to stand in the way of that togetherness? We can begin simply by expressing our genuine desire to draw near in peace toward one another, to welcome one another, to make room for one another. Not just those who are here, but those whom God desires to join us 
And as we do, we will discover, much like the disciples, that peace, peace is a pathway of belonging. Belonging is at the center of the church, is the household of God. And the belonging of God is at the heart of the salvation that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, is making known to us. Thanks be to God, world without end.